cool story, right? Can anyone tell me, interactive someone, what's a parable? What's a parable? Anyone know? How would you define a parable? Perhaps you've grown up in church. If you saw my blog post this week where I linked to the website, you would have read it. What, what's a parable? A story with a moral meaning? So, Jesus was a great storyteller. Yeah, Jesus told more parables than probably anyone. So it's a story that's actually told to actually tell the truth about the bigger story. So a parable is, is made up. Um, Jesus made parables up. You couldn't go back in time and find that particular sheep. Not that that was the actual sheep or anything like that. But you couldn't go back to the to the, and find the people who Jesus talks about in the parables. But they're actually stories that are told to actually communicate some sort of truth. Uh, and particularly, one, one author says that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. I think that's pretty helpful. Earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. So they're a story that we get, we can kind of watch it, uh, and we can kind of go, oh yeah, I understand that story, but the stories are told to actually teach us something about us and God, our relationship with God. Uh, tonight, I want us to think about this question, what does God think of you? Uh, we're going to do some discussion questions later on, and, and you might look at them now. There's a kind of, you know, some feelings, some kind of emotions. Maybe you kind of go, yeah, maybe that one, maybe that one. I'm not really sure. What does God think of you? I don't know if you've thought about that too much. I think it's a helpful kind of diagnostic question. If there is a God, if he's out there somewhere, what does he actually think of us? When he looks down and he sees us. That, I take it is actually the question that Jesus was answering when he told this series of three parables. Uh, There's the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost sons, Luke 15. We'll look at those next week. Uh, But I want to show you the context, because Jesus didn't tell parables just for the sake of it. He didn't go, oh, let's just sit down and tell a story. He actually, there was something happened, there was an event that happened, and so he said, all right, I'm going to tell you a story to try and teach you a truth. So have a look there. If you've got the passage open, or I'll throw it up on the screen here. Look, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. This is the context into which, this is what prompts Jesus to tell the parable. It says there, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So you see the situation. Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing people, and there's been this group of people who you might call sinners, immoral people, bad people, people you can kind of see from their lifestyle that they're sinful. And this group of people, well, Jesus has been associating with them. He's been eating with them. He's been accepting them, hanging out with them. And there's another group of people over here called the Pharisees, who you might say are the good people, the moral people, the upright people. Ryan spoke about this a little bit last time we met. And this group, the Pharisees, they look on and they go, what is Jesus doing? They grumbled, you see. The NIV has the word mutter. That's a cool word. They muttered, the muttering of the Pharisees. They kind of think this. They say, that Jesus guy, he can't be from God. 
Surely, if he was from God, he wouldn't associate with them. Because the Pharisees, they actually had a belief. They had a belief about God, that God is a God who, if you're good, then God will think well of you. But if you're bad, then God won't think well of you. That was the belief. That's what they thought about God. That's why they're grumbling. They're muttering. But I think it's interesting because the Pharisees, I think it's worth kind of trying to work out who the Pharisees are and what's going on with them. The Pharisees, as they kind of grumble and as they mutter and as they judge, do you know what they're also doing? They're also kind of putting themselves above the other people. They kind of have this sense of superiority. Well, I'm not quite like them. Oh, I'm a pretty good person, so God will think well of me, and so and so I can't believe Jesus is associating with them. We're better than them. See that kind of sense of superiority, that pride coming through? That's the Pharisees. Because they have a belief that God thinks that because they're good, he accepts them. And because they're bad, well, he won't accept them. That's what they believe about God. And that is what actually prompts Jesus to tell these three parables. Because Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 no. You guys have got it wrong. That's not how God works. That's not what God thinks. It's actually very different to that. Um, I think most Aussies, to be honest, are a little bit like the Pharisees. I think most people at this uni that I kind of get to chat to uh, are a little bit like the Pharisees. Most of us, I think, if we haven't heard uh, the Christian message, most of us, I think, think that it's kind of like there's this scale, and if your good outweighs your bad, then God will kind of accept you. If you've done more bad than good, then God won't accept you. That's how most people, I think, treat and think of God. And so Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 that's not like that at all. So he tells a story about sheep. And a story about a coin. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And so the best way to actually understand a parable is to actually think about the metaphor. So what I want us to do firstly is I want us to think a little bit about sheep. Uh, I hope you're ready for that, just to think about sheep. Um, some of you might have come from a farm where you've spent a bit of time with sheep. Uh, that's my story. I grew, I'm the son of a sheep farmer. I've spent a fair bit of time with sheep. Um, But here we are, we're going to think today about sheep. I think most of us, when we think about sheep, we either think a little bit like that cute little lamb in the video that we watched, or we kind of go, oh, aren't sheep just great? You know, they're they're fluffy, they're happy, they're all clean, they're really really good. You know, we we think about sheep and and we just kind of have this sanitised version that sheep are excellent. And um, the reality is, I think, when Jesus... Uses us uses the, the image, the metaphor of sheep. And in fact, it's really consistent in the Bible. Over 80 times, in fact, God's people are referred to as sheep. Um, I take it that, that that, Jesus calling us sheep, it's a very kind of, how I say, it's a very well-meant insult. It really is. It's a spiritual insult uh, to call us sheep. Uh, but it's also true. See, never in the Bible are God's people or humanity even um, called tigers or lions, you know, with all their strength. 
Uh, we never kind of called dogs with our, you know, you know, dogs are just smart, you know. We never call cats. I don't even know what cats have going for them, but people like them. They're um, evil. They're evil, they're cute. You know, I knew that would get a bit of response. I, I don't get cats personally, I'm not a cat person, I'm more of a dog person. Um, but we never call cats, we never call dogs, we never call anything kind of impressive. We call sheep. And we call sheep for a reason. Because sheep get hopelessly lost and sheep desperately need a shepherd. So you can see it's actually it's an insult to be called sheep. As I, as I said, I grew up on a sheep farm. Uh, I was there last week. I went home to visit my family. Um, I can tell you lots of stories about sheep. Uh, one of my, you know, one of the sayings that we have in our family is that a sheep's favourite pastime is dying. They just want to die all the time, and so to pretty much be a sheep farmer is just to keep them from dying. So you know they're, they're either going to get fly struck, or they're going to get stuck in a fence, or stuck in a dam, or stuck in whatever they can get stuck in, and they they get stuck somewhere without food. You, your life as a sheep farmer is just trying to keep them alive because they just love dying. Um, I, I can tell you a lot about sheep. Um, if you want to hang around after, I'll share some more stories about sheep. But I came across this quote, and I'll put it up. A guy called Douglas Macmillan, he wrote a book. He was a shepherd um, before he became a pastor, and he wrote a whole book about sheep. Uh, you can look it up. Um, and and this is his quote. He says, this, says, A sheep is a stupid animal. It loses its direction continually in a way that a cat or a dog never does. And even when you find a lost sheep, the lost sheep rushes to and fro and will not follow you home. And when you find it, you must seize it, throw it to the ground, tie its four legs and four legs and hind legs together, put it over your shoulders, carry it home. That is the only way to save a lost sheep. So, with that in mind, let's think about the story that Jesus tells. Uh, in, in the story that Jesus tells, how's the sheep going? The sheep's lost, right? The sheep's lost, and the sheep needs to be found. And so the question is, I think we have to ask, what does it actually mean to be lost as a sheep? What does that mean when the Bible talks about being lost? Uh, if this story is meant to teach us truths about us and God and how we relate, what does it actually mean to be lost. Um, well, to kind of unpack that, I want to give you a couple more kind of Bible passages about sheep. Uh, and here's, here's the first one. Isaiah 53, this is a popular verse, says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Um, another passage, a very popular one as well, is Psalm 23. Uh, and this is kind of the positive version if we didn't go astray. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Do you see in Psalm 23, if we didn't go astray, the kind of satisfaction and joy just kind of tied up in that passage? Green pastures, still waters. My soul is restored. That's what it's like if we don't go astray, right? But friends, the Bible, Jesus here is saying, we all go astray. We all get lost. We've all wandered to different pastures, so to speak. We've drank from different waters. Instead of going to the shepherd and letting him kind of lead us and feed us, we've gone our own way. 
Instead of seeking our satisfaction in God and our joy in Him, we've actually looked for those in other places. In money, in, in relationships, trying to find popularity or status, whatever it is, we've actually looked for our satisfaction, our nourishment, and we've got lost because we've wandered away from God. That's the message of the Bible. Uh, we've put something else in the place that God should be. And the Bible calls that sin. We've all sinned. Uh, and it's not just, you remember the Pharisees? It's not just the, the sinners. Jesus is saying, no, no, everyone is a sinner. Everyone is lost. Everyone's in that category. Uh, the good people have wandered. They're lost too. That's what Jesus is saying. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Isaiah 53. All have turned to our own way. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that we all actually need to be rescued. We're all a little bit like, remember that video? The little lamb hanging on the ledge. We like that. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from trying to live our life apart from God. But not only that, I think this picture that Jesus tells, it actually teaches us how thoroughly we need to be rescued. Doesn't just say we need to be rescued, and it shows how thoroughly we need to be rescued. Um, so do you remember the, what um, the Douglas Macmillan said about the shepherd? He said, "If you find a lost sheep, that's not enough. If you find a lost sheep, it's not like uh, a sheep is like a dog. Because you know, if you if you lose your dog, and then you, you kind of find your dog, you go, hey, come over here, and then the dog will follow you home. It's easy to, to, to rescue a dog." But to, to rescue a sheep, what do you have to do? Well, you find a sheep and then it kind of struggles to get away from you even more. You actually have to throw it to the ground, tie its legs. And you see actually here in verse 5 of Luke 15, you have to throw it on your shoulders and carry it all the way home. See, if a dog is lost, the dog will just kind of you know, jump up, follow you home. Uh, well, you can maybe even point it in the right direction and it'll just go home by itself. Dogs are pretty clever. I like dogs. I don't know about cats. Someone can feel me not cats later. But not a sheep. A sheep is not going to find its own way home. That's the point Jesus is making. So do you know what this means? It means that a sheep can contribute nothing to its salvation. The shepherd... To rescue the sheep basically has to walk it all the way home. He has to do everything for it. Everything. The shepherd has to carry it. The point Jesus is making is that if we're going to be saved, we have to be saved by grace alone, not by anything we do. We don't earn it, we don't contribute, we don't cooperate. Now just think for a moment actually, this is the defining point of Christianity. This is actually what makes Christianity different to every other religion. Because I take it that every other religion that I've looked into, they all say something like, you're a dog, in a really positive way. Because they say you can cooperate, you can contribute. Uh, here's, here's the directions. If you do these things, if you do these good things, then the God, the deity, will accept you on the last day. You contribute, you see, you cooperate. But Christianity says, no, no, no. You don't contribute anything. 
You can't. You're a hopeless sheep. Right? You need to be rescued. You're not Fido. You're a sheep. You need a saviour. You need someone to carry you home. We actually need someone to live the life we should have lived because we can't live it properly. We need someone to die the death that we should have died because we don't want to face that death. And the truth is that Jesus says, that person is me. I'm that saviour. I'm that someone who wants to come, find you, pick you up, carry you all the way home. I want to do it for you. So what of his picture. Religion says, do, you do it. You contribute, you cooperate. Whatever it is, do those things. Jesus says, double. He says, I've done it for you. I've lived the life that you needed to live. And I've died the death that you needed to die. So trust me to carry you home. That's Christianity. See, friends, what does Jesus think of us? What does God think of us? Well, the first thing is, he thinks we are desperately, desperately lost and in need of a saviour. And now, I know that some of you might hear that. You might think, Steve, that's a bit negative. Uh, that's a bit, it's kind of a bit negative to say, you know, I desperately need a saviour. I can't save myself. I'm hopelessly lost. It's pretty humbling. Well, before I kind of answer that, can I ask you, what's the alternative? What is the alternative? The alternative is that we contribute, isn't it? It's it's that maybe we are a little bit like a dog. We're not completely lost. We're just a little bit misdirected. And so if we get the right teaching, you know, if we get the right whistle, then we can respond well. A lot of people actually believe that. A lot of people actually believe that they in some way contribute to their salvation, that they heard the message and they kind of worked it out, that they had the faith, that they had the knowledge, whatever it is. They contributed or cooperated in some way. But I just want to say to that, that's what the Pharisees thought, wasn't it? They heard the instructions and they cooperated, they obeyed, they did the right thing. They thought it was their cooperation, their contribution that actually made the difference. And I think you've got to ask, how did that play out in their lives? How do you see them act? They actually look out at other people, sinners, and they think, I'm better than them. Because I cooperated. I contributed. If you think that in some way you have contributed, it will lead to a sense of superiority. But if you know that you're a sheep, if you know that you are hopelessly lost and you need to be rescued, well, it means when you look out at others, you kind of say, well, actually, you know, I'm no better than that. I mean, I've been a Christian for, I take it, maybe 30 30 years now. But it... You know, there's no way I could look out and say, oh, well, I'm better than them. So I've been a Christian for ages. No, if I remember this truth, I was hopelessly lost. But Jesus rescued me by grace, not because of anything I've done. And that actually humbles me. 
And when it humbles me, it actually means I treat other people better. Because I know that I'm not superior to them in any way. I know that I'm actually exactly the same. Yeah, they're caught up in sin, but so was I. We're going to look at this passage in our groups a little bit later, but Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. They're great words, aren't they? Now I think if you're a Christian here tonight, you can't help but hear those words and just kind of smile, can you? Just kind of hear them. I read them and they actually bring me joy. They really do. To know that God has done something. He's been kind to me, merciful, gracious. They remind me that though I've been lost, chasing my satisfaction in all those other places, God did something. He took hold of my life and he showed me that Jesus was better. He showed me that Jesus' love was actually what I was really seeking in all those other places. I read those verses and I actually can't help but feel joy that God would show his love to me like that, that Christ would die for me. But I actually think the second parable that Jesus tells is meant to give us a hint about how great Jesus' love is for us. So Jesus tells this second parable about a coin, and in this parable, all the commentators note how incredible the lengths are that this woman goes to to find her coin. See, you see there in verses 8 and 9, the woman, she's lost one of her coins. So what does she do? Well, she lights a lamp. She brings light into the darkness so that she can see. She sweeps the house. She searches diligently, do you see, and she doesn't give up until she's done everything that's needed to find the lost coin that is precious to her. Do you see the effort that Jesus described in this search? This woman, just like the shepherd before, won't give up until the lost is found. And do you see what happens when the lost is found? Joy, right? Great joy. Rejoice with me, I found my sheep, the shepherd says. Rejoice with me, I found my coin, the woman says. Jesus says, verse 7, there is more joy in heaven when a sinner repents. So we started with the question, what does God think of you? He actually thinks two things. He thinks you're hopelessly lost, but you're infinitely valued. You're his treasure. So do you know why? It's actually because of this. It's because just like the shepherd left his wealth behind, he left the 99 back in the fold and went and got the one, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus left his wealth behind, the wealth of heaven, 
and he came to seek and save the lost. He went to extraordinary lengths to save us. He went to a cross and he died the death that we deserve to die after he lived the life that we never did. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says that Jesus actually, by going to the cross, made an incredible exchange, his perfect life, for our sinful life. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what that verse is saying? It's saying that we who were in sin, who weren't righteous, Jesus has swapped his life for us. So when God looks at us, when we've put our trust in Jesus, he sees us as righteous. He sees us as beautiful, as perfect. So remember at the start I talked about how most Aussies, I think, kind of have this morality scale, that kind of balance of good and bad or whatever it is. You know, if you've done more good than bad, then God will accept you. Well, the Bible says that actually, yeah, there is a scale. We actually do need to live a perfect life. The problem is none of us did. Jesus did. And on the cross, what he does is he takes all his good and he gives it to us. He takes all our bad and he takes it on himself. And he is weighed down on the cross under the judgment of God so that we can be lifted up. It's a great exchange. Jesus is weighed down under the judgment of sin and hell so that we can be lifted up to hell. So what does God think of us? He actually thinks we're all worth dying. He thinks that though we were hopelessly lost, we were incredibly valuable to him. Because Christ searched for us, and with great joy he came and brought us home. At his own expense. I just want to finish with this. I think if we chew on that passage, you know, like a, like a sheep, kind of got the grass in its mouth and it's just chewing on it, it's nourishing it, it's kind of letting it sink in and give it all those kind of good vibes or whatever it is. If we chew on this truth, it will actually change us, this gospel truth. It'll do a couple of things, actually. It'll give you a joy give you confidence because you know that though you are a sinner you are incredibly loved and accepted by the God of the universe but at the same time this truth that we've been looking at it actually humbles us because it does say yeah you were hopelessly lost and I think that actually frees us because it gives us an ability to be real about the failures in our life about the sin in our life. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a great Christian pastor and author of last century, um, he says every other community of people, every other kind of people group is based on performance and living up to certain things. And so what that means is that you're never allowed to be a sinner. You're not allowed to admit failure because you won't fit into the group anymore. Um, But the Christian community, because it is founded on grace, is radically different. Uh, This is what Bonhoeffer says. He says this. He says, Religiosity and morality permits no one to be a sinner. Everyone must conceal his sin from him or herself and from others 
But the grace of the gospel confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to God who loves you. He doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want to sacrifice or work. He wants you, you alone. The mask you have to wear before everyone else will do you no good before him or before your brothers and sisters. Confess your sins to each other. Accept one another and be healed. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that as a Christian, you can actually live radically different to the world. You don't have to put a mask on as a Christian. You can actually be real about who you are and what you struggle with. Christian communities ought to be different to other communities. We ought to be able to be honest with each other because we've been humbled by the gospel. We ought to be gentle with each other because we know God's great gentleness and love to us. Bonhoeffer is saying that in a Christian community, you don't have to appear competent. You don't have to appear like you've got life together. You can actually be real. But I think that's great news, personally. You can confess your sins. You can pray for each other. You can remind each other of what God thinks of you. That though you're utterly lost, you're incredibly loved. And I tell you, if you do that, uh, if you do that, sometimes some of you guys meet one-to-one, some of you meet small groups, if you do that, if you care for each other like that, it'll actually give you a great joy. It'll actually build that relationship. So I'm going to pray that we would be like that. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you that though we are incredibly lost, you came and you saved us. You sent your son Jesus who is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one who gave up everything so that we can be found. And Father, I pray that this truth that we've looked at tonight, that we contribute nothing, but we're saved by grace alone. Father, I pray that it would humble us, but also that it would give us just a sense of confidence, knowing that you are on our side, that you have rescued us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.